Check, check. Oh, yeah, there we go. Uh, my name is Chase Baker. I'm the family pastor here at Rolling Hills, and I have the privilege of working on a team of people that kind of oversees the next generation at all campuses. And I always love being in Nashville. This is family to me, and um, so I'm grateful for that. Um, and so what I thought I would do for those who um, may not know me, and, um, and you're, maybe you're new and you haven't been here a long time, and, and maybe, for, I want to give you a family update, but maybe for others, you know me, but you haven't had a recent family update. So here's what I want to do. I want to show you a picture of my family. And this is my family. This is Courtney. We've been married. Uh, I thought it was 16 years coming up, but it's 15 years. I added I had another year. So it's 15 years coming up. And um, in actually three days, we celebrate our 15-year anniversary. And Kit is wearing the yellow dress, and she just turned five. And then the new one, um, this is Ellis, and she's our COVID baby. Okay, we had her in December. And here's the thing. Here's the best part about 2020. There's lots of bad things, but here's the best part. You can go throughout your pregnancy, and you can have your baby without anybody ever knowing about it. And that's what we did. We didn't tell anybody, and here comes a baby. Oh, wait, they had a baby. What in the world? So that's Ellis. Um, that's my family. So that's a family update for me. And and I have the privilege of concluding this series today because next week is church that left, left the building. So I'm going to do my best to conclude this series. First John, we're going to be in chapter 5. If you want to know where that book of the Bible is, you can go to Revelation, which is the last book of the Bible. And you can go back a few, few uh, books, and that's where you find First John. John is incredible. Uh, he's the disciple John. He walked with Jesus. He, he saw Jesus perform miracles, healing people, healing the lame, healing the blind. He watched Jesus have compassion on others. He also, if you didn't know this about John, he was one of the only disciples to be at the foot of the cross when Jesus breathed his last breath. Think about that. He was one of the last disciples there as he watched Jesus breathe his last breath. In fact, Jesus called him one of the, his beloved disciples. Now, we don't want to know what that really means, but we know there's a level of connection there. It was probably different. Um, he also saw the resurrected Christ. And so there's a lot about John that is just so rich and so deep. And he writes this letter to the early church, assuring them of salvation. He's coaching them on living the Christian life. And he's warning against false teachers. So we look at this. We're going to conclude this with his concluding thoughts. What was his final words that he gave to the early church in 1 John chapter Five. That's what we're going to nail today. So uh, if you don't mind, I'm just going to pray over our time and bless, uh, bless our time together. Father, we are incredibly thankful for you. And God, we pause for a second. And God, my prayer is that we are forever changed by the words that we're going to read today. Your word is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. Your word changes us. That's my prayer, is that we are forever changed by it. That we leave here different people than the way we walked in. Change us day by day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we jump in to verse 13 of chapter 5. Are you with me? All right, here we go. So John starts out, verse 13, his concluding thoughts. He says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. First of all, in John's concluding thoughts, the thing that he starts with, he said, start with Jesus. 
That's your first point. Start with Jesus. He starts with assuring believers of, of Jesus, uh, a relationship with Jesus, and that secures our eternal life. Can we just pause there for a moment and just say throughout the book of 1 John, he talks a lot about God's love and God's love being lavished on us. Maybe this morning that's exactly what you needed to hear, that God loved you. He's poured out love on you, and we could be done right now. That you needed that reminder. I got to tell you that I need that reminder every day that I wake up. That God's love was lavished on me. That He covers a multitude of sin. I, I need that reminder. And then He says this in verse fourteen. Because of that, this is the confidence we have in approaching God. He said, you can be confident in how you approach God because of Jesus. Now, here's my question to you. How do you approach God? Do you approach God? And when you do approach God, how do you approach Him? There's lots of different ways that we can approach God. Some of you may approach God out of fear. Or maybe out of shame. There's a level of shame over sin that whenever you approach Him, there's just so much shame you have a hard time approaching Him. Maybe lack of confidence in God or maybe uncertainty about who God is or what he's going to do in your life John had a lot to say throughout the book of John her first John in his letter about the relationship that we have with God and how we approach him in fact over 11 times he mentions mentions God as father And over 14 times, he mentions us as children of the Father. Something about Jesus that you need to know. Jesus taught one thing about God that was above all the other things. What did he teach about God that was above everything else? 189 times in the four Gospels, Jesus refers to God as Father. 189 times. Now, the core text of the Gospels, what are some of those? Remember when the disciples came to Jesus and said, teach us how to pray. What did Jesus say? He said, our Father. Whenever you talk to God, refer to him as Father. That's where you need to start. And not just any Father, our Heavenly Father. What else did he say? He said things like this. If you see, the, if you see me, you have seen the Father, because I and the Father are one. He also says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven, not your ruler, not your Lord, not your king, but Father in heaven. We also see this in the triune nature of God. God, Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit. We see this relationship beginning to take place. So in your notes, you can say, we can approach God as Father. How cool is that? An intimate relationship. In fact, in the life of Jesus, he shows us what it looks like to be a child of God. And if God is doing everything he can to show us what a father-child relationship looks like, what do you think the enemy is trying to do? He's trying to destroy what that relationship looks like. Because here's the thing. The enemy knows that if he can crack up this concept of fatherhood, if he can crack it up, then some people may never overcome the impact of an earthly father compared to a heavenly father. See, there are different kinds of earthly fathers. And many of them are not good examples. 
of our Heavenly Father. And maybe you've experienced some of these fathers before, and we're going to go through this list of what they could be. The first is an absent father. This father really wasn't in the equation. Whether through divorce, disinterest, or dysfunction, this father just wasn't there. Or abusive father. Not only did this father not help us, but this father did not, uh, this father hurt us. This father caused deep scars for us. And, and this has taken a long time to get over, and some people may never get over it. Or the performance-based father. Yeah, this father would bless you, but you had to earn the blessing. If you did what he said you were going to do, then, then you got a, a hug. If you met the standards, then you got a I love you. But if you didn't, you got something completely different. This father loved you more or less based on what you did or did not do. Performance-based father. And then there's the passive father. He's in the mix, but really not in the story. He's really not, and this was probably modeled for him by his dad, and he just reflective of his dad. And then there's the antagonistic father. He's basically not for you. And in fact, this father seems to cut you down every step of the way, just, just calling you names and, and making you feel bad about yourself. But then there's the type of father that may give us a, a good example of what our heavenly father looks like. He's not perfect, but this is the empowering father. Empowering father. He loved you and you knew it regardless of how well you were doing or how well you weren't doing. He showed you and he proved it. He was dependable. This father didn't show favorites. And somehow this, this dad did a unique thing. He, he, he taught you and coached you and trained you in order to see the potential for your future. But here's what I want you to understand. This dad wasn't a, a pushover. He wasn't going to let you get away with stuff. He's going to say, I love you, I love you, I love you, but you're not going to do that. In fact, this, this, this father may say something like this. One day you're going to thank me for that. That sounds familiar because my dad did the same thing, and that was true. Is it now I'm later on in life, Dad, thank you for telling me that. Thank you for doing that. And people might say when they look at this list, if God is like my dad, then I'm not interested Here's what I want you to know. God is the perfect version of your earthly father. Louis Giglio said it best. He said, God is, sim is not simply a reflection of your earthly dad. He's the perfection of your earthly dad. He fulfills every promise. He's always present. His love goes further than we can imagine. And when you pro approach God, approach him with confidence that when you believe in his son you can approach him knowing that there's nothing that you can do to make him love you any less and there's nothing that you can do to make him love you even even more that he loves you that's why i love the story of the prodigal son do you remember the story in luke chapter 15 when jesus taught this story about a father-child relationship he taught this story that word prodigal means reckless or wasteful expenditure and jesus told the story of a father whose son rejected his family, took the family inheritance and spent it all, just wasted it on wild living, and he ended up with nothing. Nothing. He didn't have a home, he didn't have food, and he was in his desperation, he was thinking, okay, I would rather be a servant of my dad. He doesn't have to call me a child. 
Like, I'd rather be a servant of my dad than be in the mess that, that I am. So in desperation, he goes back home, and what he thought he would get was rejection and punishment, but he got something he didn't deserve. And so as his father sees him from a long way up, he was coming up, and his father sees him out in the distance, and his father, instead of just turning in and walking inside, his father looks at him and has compassion on him. And it, back then they had robes, and he, he lifted up his robe in undignified fashion, and he began to run towards his boy. He gets to his boy, and he throws his arms around him, says, I love you, and he kisses his neck. He said, my, my son was lost, but now he's found. Let's celebrate the fact that he is back. You see, here's, here's what I want you to know. God gave more love than the prodigal could waste. How many of us need to hear that? God gave more love than the prodigal could waste. This is grace. This is something that we don't deserve. And this is exactly what our Heavenly Father did for us, for, you, for humanity through Jesus. He saw our sin and he lavished love through his Son. And his desire for us is to be his children. And what I love about John, he says, and because we are his children, the next verse happens. That if we ask for anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we have asked of him. He said, because we are children, we can approach him with anything. Does that mean we can ask for a brand new house? Does that mean we can ask for a brand new car? Does that mean, you know, whatever we want, we just ask? Absolutely. We can ask for those things, but here's the deal. You can ask for anything, but John reminds us that God answers our prayer to, to the degree of his will. Christian prayer centers on God, what God wants, and a part of what Jesus taught us how to pray was what? He said this. He said, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Does this mean he will bring healing? Yes, but not always. You know, I, I, I've seen... Um, Miraculous healing with my own eyes. You and I have heard stories of mental, emotional, and physical pain being healed. I've been down to the Amazon, not Amazon Fulfillment Center in Nashville, but Amazon Jungle, and, and spoken to jungle pastors about just miraculous healings and, and how God has provide, provided in big ways because of prayer. But here's what I want us to understand. God answers our prayers according to his will, and his will is not always the way that we think it should be. Meaning sometimes we would get a miracle when we ask for it. But sometimes he doesn't get a miracle. He wants us to manage our pain or our situation. Some people will live with pain their whole lives. But here's, here's the point. Regardless, if it's a miracle or a pain to manage, he uses both to create a ministry to others. Some of you may experience a miracle, and you have. Some of us, it may be a pain to manage, and God's going to use it to create a ministry to others and bless others. God doesn't want us to waste a miracle or pain. He's writing a bigger story, and he wants us to use those things for his 
kingdom. His desire for us is to approach him and ask. And the idea is that we approach him as a child to a father, knowing that he will do what was best to us and through us. Don't you love that? Then John describes what our our response should be to the love of a heavenly father, to that child relationship that he lavished love on us so that we can be afforded the opportunity to be his child. What is our response? Verse 18, we know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. In other words, true fellowship with God cannot result in ongoing sinning without repentance. Not to say that sin won't happen. We're going to mess up. But he said, but a follower of Christ will experience conviction. You know what that conviction is supposed to do? It's that thing inside of us that says, maybe this is not right. Maybe this is not the direction that I I should go. What conviction does is it causes us to return to our Heavenly Father. It, It causes us to ask for forgiveness and restore that relationship we have with Christ. And Paul says in Romans 6, he said this about sin and grace. He says, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? Shall we continue to do what we're doing so that grace may increase? Man, I'm grateful for you, Jesus, but I'm grateful for what you did on the cross, but that just gives me reason to sin more so that grace may abound. No, no, no. That's not how it works. He said, by no means. So when we understand the magnitude of our sin and what great lengths God made to be with us, it should change how we live. In other words, not only do we recognize his great love towards us, his love should compel us to live for him, to live for him through action. And then John says this, the one who is born of God keeps them safe, and the evil one cannot harm them. We know that we are children of God, and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. We know that also that the Son of God has come and He has given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true. And we are in Him who is true by being in His Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Right there in this passage, John assures his readers that they are God's children, that they're living in a world that's gripped by evil. It's gripped by sin, but Jesus is their Savior and protector. Here's what we can pull from that. That God is serious about the protection of his children. He is serious about it. And throughout Scripture, we see this over and over again. If we go to some of the core texts in Scripture, for example, Matthew chapter 18, we read verses like this, and it's going to be on the screen. If anyone causes these little ones those who believe in me, my children, to stumble, to fail, to fall, to sin, it would be better for them, listen, listen, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. In other words, there's an importance of remaining steadfast in faith, and if people mislead or tempt his children inside the church or outside the church, there's going to be trouble. That's the most protective daddy's statement in all of Scripture. Yeah, I look at it one day, one day my, my, like this, one day my little girl is going to bring home some hairy leg, hairy arm, crackly voiced little boy into my home. And this is kind of the conversation I'm going to have. Not so many words. I'm going to sit down with this little boy. I call him little because in my mind he's little. 
he's probably going to be bigger than me because I'm little. I'm going to sit down with him eye to eye, and I'm going to say, if you do anything to cause my little girl to stumble, to hurt her in any way, there's going to be trouble. Doesn't it make you feel good about your Heavenly Father? That we have a Father that's there for us, that reinforces the idea that He's for us and He's, he's with us, that He wants what's best for us in this life, but He also does this for us. It gives us a great responsibility for those around us to lift them up, to build them up on their spiritual development, that we should not be the ones that causes them to stumble. And then John closes this letter. And he closes in a really unusual way. He's like, get my, my pen out, and I'm going to write down this statement. Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. Like, the very last thing he says is keep yourselves from idols. And we're like, well, what is he talking about? Why did he say this? What he's saying here is be careful what you worship. What you worship will determine what you, uh, what you live for or who you live for. And here's the thing, whenever you read the word idol in the Bible, what do you think about? Now, typically, when we read the, read the word idol, we think people worshiping sticks and stones and, and metal and, and all kinds of materials. They worship statues. That's kind of what we think about, that, that we're thinking, man, those are primitive people. Like, why would they worship sticks and stones and statues and those kind of things? But their, their, their gods, what they worship was always a means to an end. Well, what was their end? Their end was money, sex, power, and family stability. All the things that we think makes up a good life. The reality is that you and I can worship the exact same things today. Oh, yeah, let, let's add in a couple. Politics. Fame and comfort. The only difference is their worship was overt and conscious, and our worship is covert and subconscious. Sometimes we worship things that we don't realize we're worshiping. We worship things we don't realize we're worshiping. You see, each heart has its own Parthenon. You guys, we have, an, we have a replica of the Parthenon here in Nashville. And you know what happened there? They worshiped the Greek goddess of Athena. And here's the thing. Every heart has its own, own Parthenon. And to become a Christian means to tear down that Parthenon and put Jesus in its place. Put Jesus in its place. The definition of idolatry is to place a higher value on anything else over God. Sometimes idols are not bad things. They're just good things that we made into God things. Right? They're good things that we made into God things. This is the core sin of mankind. This is idolatry. This is the whole story of the Bible. It misplaces the confidence we have in approaching God to other things. Idols distort truth. And idols keep us from fully experiencing the love of God, our Father. And John closes this letter in this way because he knows that all God's truth is revealed in one person, Jesus Christ. A beautiful life is to be found in knowing God, loving Him, and loving others as a result. My question to you is, how do we know? How do you know that you're living a beautiful life? 
a life defined by the love of the Father and, and how that love is lived out through us. You know, a large portion of how I believe that we know that we are living a beautiful life is what others say about us. What kind of legacy that we live or leave behind. And today, I want to close by telling you a story of a man that, that I believe lived a beautiful life. I want to tell you about Jeff Woodford. Jeff was a man full of life. Let me show a picture of Jeff. This is his family. And Misty, his wife, they're actually sitting, sitting over here. Um, Lexi Kate, eighth grader, but now ninth grader. And Sam, and Sam's sixth grader, now seventh grader. And Jeff, um, a few months ago, um, left to be with Jesus. A few months ago. Now Jeff, let me tell you something about Jeff. Jeff was an incredible man of God. And what, if you guys ever went to the Franklin campus, you would know that the front door to our family ministry was Jeff Woodford. Like every time he'd wear his UT orange, he would be there every week. But he had a smile on his face. He was bigger than life. He would encourage, he would hug people. If you've never met Jeff, he would give you a hug. He loved people so well. But above all, he loved his heavenly Father. And the reason why I bring up Jeff, because really, when you live a beautiful life, here's what we see, is that you know it because of what others say about you, especially the next generation. And so, during his funeral, Lexi Kate, eighth grader then, gave the eulogy. And I want to read a part of that eulogy today, because I think that defines a beautiful life. And this is what Lexi Kate said. There are thousands of words I could find to describe my dad and the wonderful life he led. You can say, and a beautiful life he led. Most of all, though, the best word that I can use to describe him is faithful. Not only did he lead his life to bring others happiness, happiness to others, but above all, he led his life to please God and share the good news of his son with others. I hope to have this much trust as he did in Jesus. Whenever I felt alone, sometimes bad things were happening. Or when I cried, my dad was always looked at me and said, there's nothing that we can't do together. And Jesus has not let us down yet, and he will not start today. A couple weeks ago, Misty wrote this post. It's been a weird day. Several things just didn't go our way. Picked up a new responsibility that I hadn't really seen on the horizon. Lexi Cake didn't get the news that she wanted at her surgery follow-up. I mean, just an all-around terrible day. Then I'm listening to one of the eighth-grade girls give her testimony at church. And a part of her story was at the time where she was contemplating suicide she got on Snapchat and saw one of Lexi Kate's Jesus stories. Lexi Kate would oftentimes post verses and host Bible studies on Snapchat. And she saw one of those. This eighth grade girl saw one of her stories. 
And she says it was what God used to get her back on the right track. Misty said, I hate our pain. It really sucks that we're walking through this. And I often ask, why do we have to suffer this way? But Jesus, he uses our story and he uses my babies. There's nothing in the world that would make Jeff Woodford more proud of his kids than using the sucky platform that they've been given to draw others to the Lord. Well done, Daddy. Well done, you taught them well. If you're going to define a beautiful life, I think that's it. A life defined by love. And for Jeff, he, re- he knew that he received love from the Heavenly Father. And he was lavish love. So what was he going to do? Lavish that love on others. That was a reflection of his Heavenly Father to other people around him. And guess what? It changed his family too. It changed his church. The question I have for you is what do people say about you? What legacy are we leaving behind to the people closest to us? The way we live changes when we, when we love the Father more than the things that the Father provides. Right? Because when that happens, we tell Him that He is enough. He is all we need for this life, this beautiful life that we are living. When you came in, you received communion. If you will take that out. And what a perfect segue into communion together. 